Hello, and welcome to this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On this episode, we're discussing The Perfect Assassin by K.A. Dorr, the television show Killing Eve, and the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And welcome to episode 37, Emotions Are Hard. Let's do murder. I'm Alex, and I am a locket ring full of poison cunningly tipped into a wine glass at a fancy party. I'm Freya, and I am a nick from a poisoned blade in the middle of a busy train station. I'm Macy, and I am a delicate slice to an artery that you don't even notice till you're bleeding out. In addition to being very subtle, serpenty forms of murder, <laughs> we are also three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we are talking about assassins and uh, murder and also about our feelings because somehow those things are related, you know? Uh, but before we go on to that lovely discussion topic, uh, what are we reading, fellow serpents? I have almost finished reading The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Kowal, which recently Ooh. won the Nebula for Best Novel. Ooh. Yes, congratulations, yes. Mary Robinette. And also congratulations to Mary Robinette for the best dress at the oh, Nebula. It was amazing. It was spectacular. <sighs> I think it's the gloves. She walked out of the elevator right in front of me and my jaw hit the floor and I was literally struck speechless. <laughs> what a goddess. Yes. So excellent book, excellent writer, excellent dress. Uh, I also read The Hating Game by Sally Thorne, which is a very delightful, charming rom-com about rival CEO assistants at a publishing company who sit opposite one another in a giant office and come up with games in which to torture the other. It was a lot of fun. And I also read Cat Sebastian's latest A Duke in Disguise, which is the latest in her Regency Imposters series. And I think it's my favorite in the Regency Imposters so far. Is it a girl in disguise as a duke? No, it is not, sadly. Oh. But it is one of those great novels where both of the main characters are solidly sort of working class. They've got their jobs. They just want to get on with life. And when one of them discovers he's a duke, it is very inconvenient. And <laughs> they spend a lot of time being like, how can I date this radical bookseller whom I love now that I'm secretly a duke? Oh, no, the <laughs> angst. But everybody in it is very like practical and sympathetic, and I had a good time. That sounds delightful. Uh, whereas I, having triumphantly sent my book off to many people, Yay. have been free and have been reading so many books. You guys, I read so many books. What books did you read? I read Gideon the Ninth. Yay! Yay! Which I'm not going to shout about excessively because it was wonderful, but we've already shouted about it quite a lot. We have. We, we have. have. Um, and I read a horror novel called The Fisherman which was like super quiet and thoughtful and about like widowers um, mm -hmm. coming to terms with their loss and also like weird Lovecraftian fish monsters in the You're wilds of North, like North New York state. Are the fish monsters a metaphor for the feelings? Possibly, or it might be like a trip to Hades type thing. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was super fun uh, and weird, but good. I enjoyed it. And the one that I really need to shout about to you guys is um, the, sh the book is called Ship of Smoke and Steel. It's a YA book by Django Wexler and it features the prototypical disaster stabby bisexual protagonist who is a mob boss and enforcer with magical swads. And she goes to a giant ship where she punches lots of creepy giant crab monsters with swords. Wonderful. And it's delightful. And then she falls for a princess with a secret. Sounds like it's doing a lot. It does. And it's YA. So it's very quick about it. Oh, good. Well, as someone who is planning to write a book with ladies falling in love on a ship, I should clearly check that one out. Yeah. Yes. Well, I believe that our listeners will enjoy this one deeply. Uh, and I watched more Killing Eve than was actually required for this episode. I had never seen any of it before, um, but that's one of the tent poles today. So I watched some of it and then I kept watching some of it and then I watched some more of it. Because Villanelle. 
because Villanelle's great and Cassandra O oh is perfect, you know. It's true. It's um, true. I read Perfect English while uh, by KJ Charles while I was on the plane to the Nebulas last weekend. Uh, and that was brilliant. It's KJ Charles's latest. It is the lesbians book, the long-awaited lesbians. Hooray! Uh, kind of a prequel to her wonderful romance novel, Think of England. Um, oh, it's those with- two. Yeah. Yes, yes, Yay! those two. It's how they met. Oh, oh no, now I really need this. Yeah, and they solve like a murder together Aww. and uh, it's good times. You would really enjoy it, Macy. Uh, and it's really like sweet and soft and women's and good good times good times uh i finished reading salt a world history which was my nonfiction book about Mm. the history of salt as you might imagine (laughs) uh currently i am reading macy's manuscript uh i (laughs) macy mentioned she had sent it off to many people i was one of the people she sent it to uh so that's next on my tbr pile i'm making my way through it and it's great i can tell you that uh Mostly my inbox is full of Alex shouting the word gay. Yes, because it's real gay. I watched, I want to particularly recommend a 20 minute uh, YouTube video that I watched. It's in Wired's Technique Critique series on YouTube. And it is a cool video about the use of spy shit in movies like gadgets and disguises Mm. and so forth. And the person doing the critiquing was a former director of disguises for the CIA. So that's rad. Director of Disguises is a great title. That uh-huh. is. Uh-huh. Uh, and today I've been watching a garbage show that does not deserve <laughs> to be spoken about. It's called History 3 Trapped, and it's this Taiwanese drama, and it's garbage. And the only reason that I'm watching it is because my friend Amelia recommended it to me. Amelia and is a problem in that way. Yeah, she is. She is. Uh, (laughs) It's garbage, and I can't stop watching it. That's all I have to say about that. Let's move on with the fucking episode. Although on the subject of of garbage TV shows, my agent Sib, Iona, did write a delightful uh, 10,000-word Guardian fic about them being lawyers. Did she? I'm going to have to go find that. Yes, they did, and I will link it to you. Oh, real quick before we go on with the episode, we also have a couple pieces of news. Yes. While I was at the Nebulas, I got the wonderful news that my upcoming book, A Choir of Lies, got a, which is the, the sequel to A Conspiracy Ilfing of book. Truths. Ilfing book, yes. Uh, it got a starred review in Publishers Yay. Weekly. It was amazing. I was openly weeping in the <laughs> bar at the Nebulas conference, which is really the best place to get good <laughs> publishing news because people were hugging me and petting my hair and saying, are you okay? And I was saying, yes, I'm fine. Sob, sob, sob. Um... <laughs> So yeah, that was fantastic. Macy has some important news as well, which she's being very mysterious about. Super important. So important. The most what important. What the fuck is this? Oh, are is we sensing kind the of... irony yet, listeners? Yeah, I'm important. sensing some irony. Alex I think that I'm going to have... Me. I'm going to have some regrets. <laughs> what is this, Alex Macy? with me. Freya bought a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> is this the news? <laughs> And it's made of sequins and it's leopard print. Oh, you bought that jacket? I did. Yes. So I had a small <laughs> aneurysm while looking at one of my favorite Australian labels online and saw this jacket, which is, as Macy said, sequined leopard print. And like somewhere, 14-year-old Freya is gasping in absolute existential horror. As is 14-year-old Yuri Plazetsky. Well, no, see, 14-year-old Lori Pazetsky would love the shit out of this. 14-year-old yeah. Freya, who yeah. wore mostly black and thought anything that was, like, sparkly or animal print was horrible, would not be quite so impressed. But I bought it. I tried it on this morning. I look fabulous. Yes, so I'm you do. It. Why haven't you sent us pictures yet? Why the is this news? on Twitter. We will link them in the show notes. I needed to distract myself from being on sub. <laughs> So sequins. It was important news and Alex agrees with me. Yes, yes. Anyway. Now can we have a fucking episode? Let's move on. Uh, Sure. Let's have a fucking episode. So we're talking about assassins today. And I think to begin any conversation about assassins, we have to talk about a perfect assassin or indeed the perfect assassin, assassin. which is our first tentpole. It's a a book by K.A. Dorr, The Perfect Assassin, which came out in... March, I believe. Ish. March-ish? Yep, this year. Earlier this year, yeah. 
Kador or Kai is a good friend of ours and she is fantastic and her book is also fantastic. It is about this sweet, soft cinnamon roll who has just finished his assassin training. Uh, he's asexual for those of you who are uh, lacking for ace representation in your fiction. Here is some for you. Um, he So he has just finished his assassin training and he finds out that there will be no contracts for killing. And all of his cousins who have just finished their training as well are very disappointed. They have been looking forward to doing the murder and using yep. their skills and so forth. And he's kind of like, whew, but dodged a <laughs> bullet there. Because uh, he really just sort of wants to be a, a historian and sit in a room alone with his books and to be left Which alone. Which is a mood. Which is a huge mood, right? It's an entire ass mood, yes. Um <laughs> But then some murders happen, and there are some wild rampaging spirits that are uh, rampaging through the town and killing people and possessing them, and he has to solve the mystery and figure out why this is happening and who was doing it and uh, so forth, and hold hands with a very cute boy along the and way. And watch sunsets And together. watch sunsets holding hands with this cute boy. It's so good. I think that was one of my uh, favorite parts of the world building was this idea of quieting spirits. And mm, that yes. assassination is not necessarily a bad thing in this world, but the idea of having someone die and then have their body be left alone for long enough that their spirit leaves it and becomes this rampaging, dangerous to others kind of semi-demon figure. And that yeah. was really interesting. It's the the magical part of this world, the one that we we interact with the most, is this, if your body is left for more than 24 hours without the right rituals and words being spoken over it, it becomes this demon. And so what I really loved was uh, this point where they actually do have to do the murder and they go through this little checklist of like, because they're little murder boy scouts, right? They're just like baby murderers who don't really know how to be. And so they have a checklist. And one of the items on the checklist is, if I murder this person in this way, will someone find the body real soon? Because they want the body to be found really soon. They want it to be found. And so that's one of their tick lists. They're like, yes, the husband will come back shortly. Tick. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive to the usual assassination technique of where can I hide this body where it won't be found. Yep. And ah, it it was super good. Super, super good book. Yes. So just as a, a... a fun discussion point for this one. Uh, Kai was tweeting the other day about how she's trying to come up with some AO3 tags for the book, mm. but she's not super fluent with the tags. Since we love Kai so much and since we all adore this book, shall we take a moment to brainstorm some tags for her? We should. And we should also tell our listeners later to chime in on the Twitters and we will pass them along. But yes, I feel like the most important tag for this book is murder cinnamon roll. Mer- yes, yes. Looks like a cinnamon roll, but could murder you. Yes, yes. but will murder you. We'll murder you. Only murder for you. a contract. We'll, yeah, we'll feel bad about it afterwards, but we'll do it anyway. Yes. yes. Let's see, I mentioned the asexual representation, which is good. Would you say that he has anxiety or... I'm mm, not sure. It's sort of I borderline. Don't think so. He has some, like, shy feelings. Yes. So, yeah. One of the things that I really loved about this world building, um, it's a desert town and a lot of the world building around the spirits felt um, like it was drawing somewhat from Islamic mythology and Middle Eastern Mm -hmm. mythology. But in this world, boys wear hijab. I thought everyone did. No. Oh. Men are the only ones who wear taggles. I must have misread that. I thought that everyone wore it. That's cool, though. Like, that's more cool. cool. I like that better. Right? And yeah. so they can't see each other's face and it's a big deal when Cinnamon Roll gets to see his his love, in- his hand-holding interest with a bare face. Yes, it's a very emotional moment. Yes. And then they have like one kiss and then that's it. And then they run away. There is some murder. Um, there <laughs> is some, as we have mentioned, it's fairly graphically described. Um, so character death is a tag. Character death is a tag, yep. Um, are there any other trigger warnings or anything other than murder? I th- don't think so. I think it's mostly murder. Mostly murder. Yeah. Like, and like cool, creepy Thank you. magic. By the way, hold on. Thank you for like sticking with the inside joke <laughs> and saying mirth here in a weird murder. way. <laughs> it's important. We'll get, we'll get Freya with that drink sometime. Yeah. We, nearly, we nearly got Freya choking on a drink with that one. <laughs> it's fine. She's a doctor. She'd fix it. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. S- self-fixing choking, that happens all the time. <laughs> what the other tags, like, I didn't need that dignity. I think I, if, see, if this was mine on AO3, I would tag it like Ozymandias aesthetic. Because it's all very mm. much like lone and level sand stretch far away. You know, it's like sand. Oh, yes. Sand, sand. <gasps> sand. That was some deep literary merit right there, Freya. I'm very impressed with you. I would have just tagged it. Sand. Sand. Also, sand. Yes. yes. <laughs> yep. Water was currency. It has really cool economic system shit. Yeah, that was really it good. It really does. Yes. Oh, like, listeners, you have to understand, like, it's super fun. All of their money comes from, like, tokens to access the aquifer below the city that this ancient civilization kind of engineered. And at the beginning of each year, it spits out a bunch of money that the people who are in charge can use to pay people to do stuff and, like, allocate around and you put your money to get water and when the money runs out the water has run out and you're just shit out of luck it is and it's super cool literal trickle down economics shall we continue friends on that note i was just about to say the same thing yes that would be a good tag as well literal trickle down economics there you go okay we've got you some we've got you some tags now we love you guys Hashtag helping. helping. Yes. So our second tentpole, as Alex has already mentioned, is the TV series Killing Eve, which I am personally obsessed with to a moderate degree. (laughs) Only a moderate degree? Only a moderate. Moderate I'm feeling a little bit thwarted at the moment because the second season finale was meant to air last night in Australia. And for some reason, they just showed a repeat of the penultimate episode. And the finale isn't until next week for no apparent reason. So I was feeling quite disappointed by that because I just really wanted more beautiful, stabby murder girls on my screen. It's fair. It's fair. So Villanelle would definitely wear your jacket. She would. She absolutely would. So this TV show (laughs) is about a a sort of low-level admin MI5-ish agent called Eve, played by the incredible Sandra Oh, who gets brought onto a task force to try and track down an international assassin by the name of Villanelle. And Villanelle wears extremely aesthetic clothing and <laughs> is a beautiful young woman. She is definitely a stabby bisexual. Oh, yes. Yes. And like, I'm now like a little bit worried, Freya, you're not allowed to wear that jacket where Villanelle might come across you because she would murder you for it. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. That's true. (laughs) And obviously, Villanelle and Eve get into this wonderful cat and mouse sort of push and pull mutual obsession relationship, which is just beautiful. Uh, It's very well written. It's incredibly well acted. The design of everything, like the location shots, the costume Mm. choices are all really, really fantastic. I think it's one like BAFTA's Up the Wazoo. It's like become quite a lauded show. And yes, it's about to finish its second season. I thoroughly recommend it. Most of the yes. content warnings are to do with people being killed in various gruesome ways because Villanelle yes. gets bored easily yes. and likes attention and likes showing off. And her idea of showing <laughs> off is, for example, hanging a man upside down in a red light window in Amsterdam's red light district putting on a pig mask and a tutu and killing him in front of a crowd of onlookers who think it's a sex show. (laughs) So, you know. That was amazing. That was amazing. So if that's your kind of jam, like if you're really missing something after Hannibal left a gay aesthetic murder hole in your heart, Killing Eve is the show for you. (laughs) One of the things that I particularly loved, uh, especially in the early episodes, was how much it leaned on people, specifically men, will look away from women and women's problems because it grosses them out. For example, when she's going (laughs) undercover as a caterer waitress and she has to like sneak away from the party to kill the political person uh, and the boss of the caterers catches her and says like, hey, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to leave. You're not supposed to go in there. That's for guests only. Uh, And she says, oh, I'm just bringing someone a tampon. And it's just like whips a a tampon out of her pocket and says like, (laughs) I don't go anywhere without one. And he immediately goes like, oh, uh, yeah, okay, do whatever you want. Um, And I was just like, I see you and I appreciate you. Like, thank you for hanging a lampshade on that sort of aspect of one of the benefits of being a female assassin yeah Yeah. and the second season draws some comparisons between the way that villanelle 
sort of approaches being a young, beautiful female assassin and how that can get her what she wants and get her access to places. And another assassin who's called the Ghost, who is mm-hmm. also a woman, but is a woman of color and basically, you know, mm. older. She's middle aged and she can essentially go anywhere because she is totally ignored yes. and assumed to be service staff everywhere. Yes. And so she yes. is this wow. like incredibly effective, unseen assassin because nobody remembers her or pays attention to her. Yeah. Oof. Yes. I love That's it. so good. This is a good show, it's guys. It's a great show. Watch it. it's, it's a really good show. But, like, one of my favorite things about it is just Villanelle at all times is basically a 12-year-old. And mm-hmm. she just wants what she wants and she's going to take it. And the actress's expressions, like, the she pouts and yes. just, like, makes, like, a caricature of herself. I think the first time we meet her handler is after Villanelle got bored and so put white powder all over her face and spilled pills on her dresser table and took an empty vodka bottle and, like, stages a suicide scene because she's just bored and wants to see how he'll react. Yep. Yeah. She's just like that. She's just like that. And yeah. this is quite funny, the... So to the fact that both Eve and Villanelle have these not quite parental, but basically parental figures in their lives who are much more of the old school of sort of spy game, assassin game. Mm-hmm. Like I love beyond words, Carolyn, who is Eve's boss at MI5. She is incredible. Like the actress does such a good job. You can tell that she's just been around the world. She has slept with someone from every international intelligence oh, yes. agency. She's the head of the <laughs> Russian desk. Yes, and she just swans around like there's a scene where Eve, for no apparent reason, has to go and report to her, and she's just like in a fencing club, just fencing for, for no reason. Just because like that's the <laughs> like, person that she is. She, she just, has interests. And she just swans around, and her poor grown-up son is also on the task force, and he just looks really put upon at all times that this is his mother. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be Carolyn when I grow up. I think you'd make a great Carolyn when you grow up, Freya. But I also love contrasting Villanelle with Amastan, like Stan, who is our first assassin from the book. Oh, yes. Because, oh God, Stan would be so genteelly horrified by everything about Villanelle. And she would be so bored by him. And Amastan has like so many feelings and Villanelle is like almost emotionless other than like want this thing. Yeah. She puts emotions on and off like they're interesting masks. Yes, yes, yes. And you can see her make a decision to like perform an emotion and then yep. perform that emotion. The actress is fantastic. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. acting like you're acting is <laughs> kind of an amazing skill. And yeah. Amistan has that ability to sit with his feelings and also to just sit like he has so much patience there's so many passages in Mm -hmm. the perfect assassin where he sort of looks up and you know six hours have gone by because he's been chasing down this one thing in some historic scrolls and he sort of reflects on the fact that actually he is a very good assassin he is like he has he's like such a better assassin than villain he is like he has this patience and this ability to pay attention to detail and to take his time and to set things up slowly that even though assassination is not like his favorite means of anything, <laughs> he's very good at it. Whereas Villanelle is also very good at it, because, but she knows exactly which parts of it she can and can't do. And if she had to wait around for hours and hours and hours and hours to do something subtle, she'd be bored. She would just screw up the mission because she'd go and do something fun. I feel like she would wait for hours and hours to set up a dramatic scene and tableau because she gets the payoff. But her fatal flaw is definitely, like, impulsivity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shall we talk about our final tentpole? Yes, let's. Yes. So, the next one is a movie that I think Freya recommended, which I heard about for ages and have never gotten around to watching, and I'm so glad that I did watch this movie now, and it's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yay. Yay. And it is a rom-com about a married couple who are international assassins, each of them separately for separate rival companies and don't know this about each other until they are both trying to kill the same dude and the husband of the pair kind of rolls up in this monster truck in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the female assassin's kill zone and starts peeing on something and she's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, who's this dipshit? Yep. And then she figures out who the dipshit is and she's like, fuck. 
It's a beaut- yeah. It's a very slickly made movie in the first two thirds. Like the beats fall really, yes. really well. You have these beautiful, inevitable set pieces where they build. They tell you immediately. Here's the, they set you up. Here are these people who are married, not very happily. They met under interesting circumstances. Yep. Boom. Now we find out they're both assassins. Boom. Now we know they're both going after the same target. And you have this wonderful stretch of them finding out that the other one also is and how are they going to cope with it and the world's most tense and hilarious dinner Mm -hmm. where they Mm -hmm. might be poisoning one another and might be stabbing one another, but it never quite happens. Oh, well, you're, you're kind of in the do. You're kind of in Mr. Smith's point of view for that scene, and just watching him look at her and be like, "She could kill me," because she's just better than he is. Did she put Drano on the the pot roast? Yeah, my favorite meal. Yep. Did she put poison in this al- this glass this martini that she just handed to me? Is I don't she going know, to stab and I will me never with be able knife? to tell because yeah, she's just yeah. better at this. She really is. And that's a dot point that I just added. Can we acknowledge that Mrs. Smith is the better assassin here? Because she absolutely is. Like, he works for some little mom and pop bro assassin thing that's like a trash fire. Yeah, it's a bit shit. And she has this shiny corporate office full of really hot assistant ladies. Yep. Yep. I've forgotten how many actresses were in this. It's like, oh, look, it's like, (laughs) what's her name? Carrie Armstrong or something like the Oh, the woman from... That legal show, Scandal, <laughs> is in it. And then there's just like, yes. oh, look, there's, you know, Cameron from House, whatever her name is. There's <laughs> <laughs> like all these random actresses who are these very efficient assassin tech ladies. But yeah. it's just so much fun when they basically spend an entire like 10 minute fight sequence destroying their own house. Yes. Like just yes. shooting bullets everywhere. It, it actually, I think it held up pretty well. I think it came out in like 2000 or 2001, something like that. And I really enjoyed it. If you are a, the sort of person who wants to watch Angelina and Jolie and Brad Pitt beating each other up and then having like violent sex and <laughs> house destroying sex together, then this is the movie for you. <laughs> uh, and then deeply traumatizing a, a poor, innocent marriage counselor because the framing device of the whole film is that they're at marriage counseling together. <laughs> Which I love. Yes. yes. That was just that was just yeah. hilarious. Ah, uh, and it uh. reminded me, like, its mood reminded me of Mr. Right, which is my favorite Hitman rom com. I haven't seen I it. I still love it. It's um what's a name from the Pitch Perfect movies? Anna Kendrick? Yes, it's Anna Kendrick, who is I can't believe that oh my god, I can't believe I did it. I never know actresses' names. <laughs> and for once we're not making Freya fix the fact that Macy can't remember <laughs> yep. any proper. Freya nouns. was distracted by looking up scandal and realizing the actress's name is Kerry Washington. Ah, anyway. Yes, that's a different name. But yes. no, Mr. White is deeply charming and having fun and it's like the the assassin likes to dance while killing people and always puts on a red nose before doing so. Okay. <laughs> All right. Sure. <laughs> the uh, entrance sequence, I want to say, takes place in like a giant ballroom and there's lots of like disco lights. It's anyway, yeah. it's a very fun movie. So Mr. and Mrs. Smith, to go back to the, mm-hmm. the tentpole, is really interesting. Um, it's so much about emotion and I want to come back to that point later. Um, but it has this whole theme of like learning to speak each other's languages, which I found really compelling Mm -hmm. um because one of the reasons why they're not kind of clicking is because they're not speaking to each other they're not like telling each other anything and so there's this wonderful sequence after their big knock the house down (laughs) fight slash sex scene um where they're like finally being honest with each other and saying like oh you killed that guy i wanted to kill that guy (laughs) and how how did you really get these particular scars and and actually my parents are both dead who gave you yep. away at our wedding? That was a paid actor. <laughs> I just want to know how the fuck they were married for five years without noticing each other's scars. Well, I think that they noticed each other's scars, but they just had, lied like, about them. Lied. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh yeah, I got that falling off a bicycle when I was 15. You'd think that yeah. assassins would recognize bullet scars. And of all, yeah. of all the, the temples, this one is the least that is actually about assassination. Yes. Like, it is a rom-com yes. that just happens to have assassination as the structure around which they build the emotional beats. And you can tell that because the last act is just like, oh, and now it's turning into a shoot 'em up action movie. And it becomes less interesting. Like, it's still mm. fun to watch them, you know, work together and shoot a lot of other semi-bad guys yeah. while also being semi-bad guys themselves but the tension it loses is that 
slickness that the first half half has because yeah. they've delivered your emotional beats and now they're like, well, how do we finish it? I guess we'll blow some shit up. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about yeah. the difference between assassins and just random action shit. Like what makes a piece of assassin fiction not a secret agent movie, like a spy bond thriller thing? What's the difference? Motive. Oh? Well, we had that talk when we had our secret agents and spies episode about the different reasons why secret agents or spies do what they do. And it came down to this idea of being the amoral or immoral hand of a moral, question mark, (laughs) country or agency or something larger than yourself. And the idea that if you are killing people, you are doing it to serve a larger purpose. Mm. And assassins, I think, can be serving a larger purpose, but what it comes down to is basically this is the day job. The act of killing is transactional for an assassin. Mm-hmm. I think that those are two different statements. In what way? Uh, let's see. Why am I saying this? I think because framing this in the context of the perfect assassin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I totally agree that killing is transactional for them. But I don't agree that it's not got a moral underpinning. So to me, those are different. Because in the perfect assassin, like one of the... They have some rules about who they will accept contracts for. And one of the things is that the person has had to have committed some moral crime, like stealing water from someone else or or a crime against the gods. Right. And it's kind of like their whole gig is, I want to say they can only really take the contracts from the drum chiefs, the like government system. But they also, they assassinate people because an extrajudicial execution is cleaner and less harmful in that particular case than going through due process would be. Like the uh, example we see in the book is of someone who committed both a taboo and a crime that risks hurting people, but if it were brought to life, it would embarrass and like discredit a lot of other people who didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. And so it's cleaner for the society to kill her. And I definitely think that you don't have to have that system, but I think that having that sort of moral underpinning doesn't make it not an assassin story. But you might no, disagree, think, Freya. Well, I think yeah, it's true. that, And you can see some stories like like the Bourne movies, like Bourne Identity and things like that, are sort mm-hmm. of secret agently, but Jason Bourne is essentially an assassin. He's a CIA mm. you know, assassin. And it's a similar system. that He's meant to buy into the fact that he's being asked to do things for a higher purpose of some kind by his agency and there is a certain amount of taking it on faith Mm. like the assassins in perfect assassin may not be always in on why they are killing this person right it seems like it is fairly transparent in the system but it also seems like the system can be exploited sure and a lot of assassin stories are about these people who are tools being exploited because they just do what they're told I think it's definitely more transparent in The Perfect Assassin than it is in Killing Eve or in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Right. Um, because, like, they have no idea. They're just, like, given a target and told, you have to kill this person. And they're not told why or what this person has done. They just have to, as you say, Freya, take it on faith and, and be allow themselves to be used as a tool. Or not even. Like, Villanelle honestly doesn't give a shit. Right. She's getting paid boatloads of money and she really likes that fact because then she can dry, buy ridiculous clothings and also stalk Eve, which is really what she likes to do. And Mr. and Mrs. Smith don't really care either. They have that exchange where she says, do you ever have trouble sleeping after? And he says, no. And she says, no, me neither. <laughs> and that's that's the extent to which they actually talk about the morality of their jobs. And yeah. I think to me, if we're talking about fiction, the reason that like the the... The thing that's important about something being an assassin rather than any other kind of license to kill protagonist or antagonist Mm -hmm. is that their target is identified. The goal is to kill. Now, James Bond kills lots of people, but generally, like, sometimes he kills them on purpose. Sometimes he's, like, going in as an assassin and that's his mission. But in general, they're just schmucks. Um, It's more open-ended. Yeah, like he didn't have to kill them. He didn't have to not kill them. Um, Right. But they, as people, were not people to him. They were NPCs. Mm -hmm. Whereas to an assassin, their target is not an NPC. They have to really understand them as a human. There's a degree of empathy required on the part of the killer just to, like, do it 
well, to know where they're going to go and how they're going to behave and how you can get them. Yes, there's always that element of research and how does this person think, where do they go, what is the best way for me to kill them. Yeah, I agree. I think for me that makes it like psychologically and narratively a totally different story. I just thought of an assassin movie. Ooh, <laughs> what do you think of? Zoolander. Okay. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Sorry, we were thinking about like this whole idea of like being having your mark identified and like, you know, you just have to kill. All I can think of is that brainwashing scene where they're like, you must kill the prime minister of Malaysia. Oh, that's right. <laughs> brainwashed to just like vault down a fashion runway and kill someone. <laughs> Hey, it's an assassination film. Uh, it yeah, kind of is. It has an assassination in it. I'll it give has, you that yeah. one. Yeah. Possibly not a sterling example of the genre, but it, it counts. But okay. I also do like Hitman stuff. Um, sorry. Like is a strong term. As always, your serpents are referring purely to fictional activities and do not advocate murder. We totally don't advocate murder. murder. Um, murder. No. Don't murder. do the thing. Just don't do it. It's not good for your soul. We're not even winking right now. No winks. No, listen. Don't do a murder. Ah, I'm forcibly <laughs> unreeling, unspooling. Let's wind yep. this back. Hitmen. There's something about the mobster aesthetic that makes the assassin feel very different. Like, assassin feels like a professional, clean, um, competent, deliberate profession. Like, Villanelle yeah. is an assassin. She's not a hitman. Yes. Uh, whereas the protagonist of um, Ship of Smoke and Steel, for the first, like, act, is totally a hitman. Yeah, the two words hitman and assassin sort of strike me as like they're almost synonyms because they're so, so similar. But a hitman feels much more brutal. And I also, like you mentioned mobsters, and I think that I have, I tie hitman more to mobster kinds of things than assassins. Uh, assassin has a certain finesse to it. And yeah. assassins also seem like they're more often employed by governments, whereas hitmen, like you said, are employed by mobsters. So it's a smaller scale kind of thing than assassins are. I think it is literally just about the aesthetic that we yes. associate with its use mm. in media. And like yeah. you can describe somebody as a government hitman and it sounds almost derogatory. Mm. Like you're, you're, you're just, you know, a mindless piece of meat going around shooting things. Whereas a government assassin has that element of you know exactly the same they see elegance and je ne sais quoi and patience and planning and designer probably labels. you're going to get to put on some fancy clothing and yep. waltz across <laughs> a fancy party towards your mark oh rather than just like you know cornering someone in a stairwell with your large shoulders shooting them in the head and leaving i would almost yep. call mr and mrs smith a more closest are the closest ones we have to hitmen i think i would agree yeah yeah there's a lot more gun violence in yeah that they are just shooting indiscriminately they're not being Finest. Certainly Mr. Smith is definitely closer to a hitman. I would argue that Mrs. Smith is closer to an assassin. No Thank you. assassin pees on something during the middle of a job. No, I mean, no, no. I mean, if we're meant to take that first job where they're both going after the same target as indicative of their general styles. Yes. Sure, he gets out of a car with a rocket launcher, but she has rigged explosives over an entire desert. It's not yep. like either of them are being subtle. You're right. not wrong. But I also want to go back to the phrase je ne sais quoi because it fits Villanelle so well. Yep. That's just the whole yep. of her. Like both the elegant <laughs> thing and quoi. the just literal translation from the French, which is basically, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and certain, I don't know what. <laughs> the elegance of the term goes a certain way to explaining why we like it in media. Because if you take a step back and think, okay, we've got government assassins, we've got assassins here. I think we'll talk about this a little bit more later. But essentially, it has to be something that we enjoy reading about in fiction. But if you took another step back and said, this is something that I like the idea of in general, it's essentially condoning, you know, the death penalty. Even but if extra it's a judicial. government doing it. Yeah. Extrajudicial death penalty. Yeah, it's not, not something so that we say that, you know, yes, we think assassins are interesting, cool people that we would like to meet and have dinner parties with in daily life. No, no maybe not. But I think yeah. it comes back to something that you said about Le Carré during our spy episode, Freya, which is just the appeal of the elegance and like the feast laid out before you. Yes. And, and it, that's what fiction is for. It's for being able to have that thrill of enjoying this kind of otherworldly yeah. um, profession slash, you know, departure from morality while it's comfortably 
in book or movie form. And also the competence porn, which ties back to spies, but also to con artists. Right. Because, you know, we so much love just watching someone do a beautiful, flawless job, even if it involves breaking the law. The uh, job, was it the first episode of Killing Eve with the Italian villa? Yes. Just so good. So good. She's just so good at her job. She's so good at her job. I mean, she's not, actually. She's terrible at her job because you're meant to be fucking subtle, Villanelle. <laughs> oh, come on, Villanelle. Yeah. Um, she just likes attention too much. She does. But you had some but- great thoughts about assassins and emotion. Yes. Yes. So I was reading and watching our tent poles, and it occurred to me that all of these are really tightly tied to emotion i have this theory that all assassin fiction or at least like (laughs) i'm not trying to be too general here uh but it's it's about emotion on a deep level and particularly the dichotomy of having human feelings but also having to repress or avert your feelings in order to do your job which may or may not involve murder um because amistan had in uh the perfect assassin has big feelings he has a lot of shyness and nervousness and he's so relieved to find out that there are no contracts uh so that he won't have to do any murder uh, mr and mrs smith is all about learning to be vulnerable with each other um and villanelle particularly because she's so like cold and emotionless we watch her choosing to have emotions as we mentioned before and the phrase that macy used like putting emotions on like masks so yeah do you guys have any any thoughts about that I do. I think this is a really good point. And it struck me that the difference, that that lack of emotion or the ability to or the necessity of repressing emotion to be an assassin is very important because as soon as you become someone who kills a lot of people and feels emotional about it mm-hmm. slash enjoys it, you are a serial killer. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you're Whereas, right. And because, you know, Villanelle's handler starts to get a little bit worried when she starts acting out because he's like look you can't start extracurricular killing people that's not what we're about and he's like we need to like rein you in because the whole point of it is the reason she is a good assassin is because she doesn't have any feelings about the people she's killing right Mm -hmm. and we definitely see her like doing extrajudicial killings um in the beginning of the second season la 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 spoilers um but she ends up in a hospital room with a, a young man who has been quite horribly disfigured and this young man she tells him how bad his face is which everyone else has been avoiding doing both of his parents have died in a car crash and he basically says that you know he doesn't really want to live which we and instead as of the, calling a clinical psychologist yes, she's like okay <laughs> we as the audience totally get that this is like a human and natural moment of despair and this boy would probably manage it with help and recover and he will have a good life ahead of him but she's just like oh oh that's i can give you that and snaps his neck oh probably like has no regret about that none at all she thinks she helped exactly she's like oh i can give you that present yeah yeah and and none of the i think you're right that amistan has that sense of his feelings would prefer him not to kill people. And one of my favorite assassin pieces of fiction is the movie Gross Point Blank. I haven't seen it. So this is a very, it's a dark comedy. (laughs) It's quite offbeat. It stars John Cusack as a professional assassin who is starting to get a bit bored slash dissatisfied (laughs) with the life. Like he's got this sense of existential, like starting to feel you know, the morality and the thing where he's usually really good at just pushing it aside and being like, nope, this is the job. Mm -hmm. And there is a bit of a framing device where he's talking to his psychiatrist, who he clearly has, like, semi-threatened into being his psychiatrist. (laughs) He's this, like, very long, you know, long-suffering man who's like, well, I can't refuse to see you because you told me that you're a professional killer. And he's like, no, 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 I only kill people if I'm paid to. I'm not going to just kill you for no reason. But he's like, yeah, having this existential dread. And then he goes back to his high school reunion and reconnects with the girl that he was in love with in high school, played by Minnie Driver, who is excellent. Um, But he is also, he's like, look, I'm going to my high school reunion. He doesn't want to go. But his office assistant, who is his um, John Cusack's sister, Joan Cusack, also incredible in this movie, is like, look, there's a contract. You can go back to your hometown, go dancing, kill someone. It'll be good for you. (laughs) And so he begrudgingly goes back to his hometown to A, kill someone and B, reconnect with this girl. 
and it turns into this like incredible mixture of sort of 90s nostalgia music well it's not it was 90s film so 80s nostalgia music and rom-com and he's being chased down by a fellow assassin who really wants him to join a union of assassins and he's like no i'm not, <laughs> not interested just... it's it's so much fun but you know what this is reminding me of though freya um you saying this it's reminding of course uh alex will be able to echo these words with me it's reminding me of the wives show Oh, yes, of course, the wives show, the husbands and wives show, (laughs) which every time we mention the husbands and wives show, I have to stop the podcast (laughs) and remind Macy that it's not polite to the listeners to have these kinds of inside jokes. The show that we mean is person of interest. The wives show. See, I would not have made that connection between (laughs) Gross Point Black and person of interest. No, no, let me explain. Let me explain. I'm thinking about, fuck, stabby wife. What's her name? Root. No. No, the other one, Shaw. Oh, Shaw. Shaw. I'm thinking about Shaw and her, like, rehome assassins. Like, because basically the husbands adopt and, assass- adopt and rehome two young ladies, one of whom is a cult leader slash tech genius, and the other of whom yeah. is a government assassin. Yep. And so, Freya, are you talking about, like... They're daughters. <laughs> They're two daughters. Yeah, two daughters, and both of them are real stabby. But uh, Shaw definitely comes from like the government assassin program uh, of like do i feel things about this i kind of maybe do feel things about this whoops so yes i'm putting her in the really needs and really needs a psychiatrist and probably would have to threaten them to get one camp yes and alex you had a point here about mr and mrs smith that is about learning to be vulnerable to each other which i really like yes let's talk more about learning to be vulnerable with each other we talked a little bit about this earlier when we were actually with the tent pole Um, about like learning each other's languages and like being honest with each other. Um, There's also a a wonderful bit where Mr. Smith accuses her fairly early in the the movie of being a liar. And then every time she speaks, if you're paying attention, you kind of notice when she's lying and you see that sometimes she does it without even meaning to and sometimes she definitely does it on purpose. And every time she does, you can see the underlying truth of what she means like when she says i wasn't in love with you or when she says it's totally gonna there's totally not 18 uh hit men outside waiting to to shoot us to bits it's gonna be a walk in the park we're gonna kill them no problem i think that for me part of the um emotional connection of the assassin genre is about the connection between the assassin and their target as well though and i was likening it to a romance story between the assassin and their target to which alex put that is called stalking and it is in fact frowned upon in most societies (laughs) listen friend listen but you know what i mean mean... though there's the getting to know you phase there's the like getting closer to one another phase and then there's There's the the following you around to learn your schedule there's or le gros more as it were well mr and mrs smith like directly correlates murder with sexual experience <laughs> when they have the discussion about where he's like okay yes! so what's your numbers how many yes! have you done I love that. I've done oh I guess maybe like 50 or maybe 60 I don't know I've been around the block she's like 351 <laughs> he's like because oh my she's god better than he is by a lot. and you can tell that he's trying not to feel emasculated by it but he kind of does and he just sulks for the next minute or so yeah. whereas we have these two romances between like the assassin and the enemy of the assassin in Killing Eve mm-hmm. and in The Perfect Assassin, which I thought was a super interesting, like, contrast. Yeah, especially because the other person is clearly thinking of the assassin as the enemy slash bad guy yes. in this scenario. And I think that we probably don't want to talk in too much detail about the one in The Perfect Assassin because that is kind of spoilers in a way that yes. I think is unfun, even for us. Yes. But, like... And also, it's it's such a new book. Yes. It only came out in March. But it's really well done. Like, that aspect of it is really well done. And I encourage y'all to go go read this one. Yeah, but it's about there being a quite large ideological conflict. Mm. Like, as much as we might ship Villanelle and Eve, and we definitely do, there is still the fact that Eve is a law enforcement officer and Villanelle kills people. Except yeah. it's very much in parallel. Again, I'm bringing it back to what you mentioned earlier, which is Hannibal. Right? Yes. Um, because Villanelle in the sorry Eve in the first episode, one of the first things we see from Eve is her 
doing like a tasteless bet with her boss about how the assassin is probably a woman and like it's super clear that Eve thinks that that would be the most cool thing and that female assassins are the best and she's so excited she's super excited about assassins in general and female assassins in particular and Villanelle specifically yeah um so she's like scared and horny <laughs> yep. and you see across season two especially how that balance really tips towards horny in a way <laughs> yeah. that makes eve especially as you see with will graham in hannibal start to embrace the parts of herself that find this exciting mm. and that she can relate to like there's a really interesting scene where someone like this really rude guy pushes past her on the platform of a train station and she deliberately goes and stands behind him and sort of is experimenting with how she feels when she puts her hand out and is like, I could just push him in front of this train. Like you can, like Sandra Oh is an amazing actress. You can see everything that is going on inside Eve Mm -hmm. as she's going through this. Actually, this would be really easy and I'm angry and I could do this. And you can see how much these interactions with Villanelle have like started to shift something within her. And that's what makes the emotional through line of the story so good. And I think similar to Hannibal, again, like it's easier for for, uh, Eve to slip closer to Villanelle's point of view, just as it was easier for Will to slip closer to Hannibal's point of view than it is for Villanelle or Hannibal to sort of turn towards the light. Because I don't think that they ever would really not for like really altruistic reasons not certainly not for altruism i could definitely see hannibal doing it if he decided that he was in love with will enough yeah like they could work and channel it into something together but he would do it for will villanelle might do it for eve maybe maybe. but i think the the point of these shows is that the anti-hero is so compelling because we are finding them interesting and sympathetic despite ourselves Right. And despite the morality. And if you then start putting them into a redemption arc, it kind of spoils all of the delicious power that they've already built up. Whereas the point of the perfect assassin is that the person who is the perfect assassin is the one who is meticulous and doesn't really want to do it, but will. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like that's the whole thesis of that book and it's excellent. And that brings us to my next question, which is why use an assassin? In a story, why do we do that? Like, what, when? I think antiheroes is a really mm-hmm. big part of that. Like, the whole idea of making, examining why you can make someone interesting and why would we be on this person's side? Why would we want to follow them if they are doing this thing that is morally indefensible? And as, as right. Alex pointed out, it's to do with that competence porn and wanting to see something interesting done well. And I was having a think about this, and obviously, two of our temp poles here are not speculative at all. Mm-hmm. So both Killing Eve and Mr. and Mrs. Smith are very much not in the fantasy or science fiction genre. And I was trying to think of, are there any speculative media that we can think of where the assassins themselves are magical? So there's magic in hmm. the world building of the perfect assassin. And the only example I could think of is Fitz from Robin Hobbs' Farseer series, who is mm-hmm. trained as an assassin and also has some magical powers. And it's been a very long time since I read these books, so I can't remember how it plays out exactly. But I got this sense that if you have an assassin who can do magic, it's almost like cheating. Like it's too easy mm-hmm. if you give them that power over others in a magical sense. What do you think? I I would agree, and I think this goes back to the thing that I said about con artists before, because like like I said, the thing that we love about con artists is uh, watching someone do a tricky and particular job in a very sleek and delicate way using skills that anybody could pick up if they right. practiced hard enough. Just like a stage magician could. Fuck off, Macy. <laughs> Fuck off. You did that on purpose. If you would like to hear Alex swear more about stage magicians, please subscribe to our Patreon. Um, <laughs> You do want to hear that. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> do you just like turn it on and listen to me softly swear in the background? Yes. <laughs> yes sometimes. Anyway. Sorry for derailing your very important point. It was, wasn't about stage magicians, but it was, was about con artists. It Continue. was a good point, Macy. Um, we, we like con artists for those reasons. I think we like assassins for the same reason. And if you have a magical assassin, like Freya said, it is kind of cheating and it takes some of the magic out of it. Hey. It's, and it's harder to do 
self-insert, which you don't necessarily <laughs> want to do, but at the same time, who, who among us has not occasionally had the fantasy of becoming like a well-trained super assassin who can speak By a million languages and use all of the weapons and all of the poisons and just, you know, get rid of some people who maybe shouldn't be in the world. This this is why you two should join me in the delightful universe of Naruto self-insert fanfic. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Macy. Macy. <laughs> I'll get Macy. you one day. No. <laughs> but no, Naruto is about, like, stabbing and being a superpowered assassin. I'm just saying. We really dodged a bullet here, not having yes, a Naruto. you do. You want to. Trust no. me. It's, they're great, listeners. They're great. Come read Dreaming of Sunshine with me. But I had a point. <sighs> yes, finish your point. Finish your point. I had a point. I had a segue, in fact. We will indulge you by listening to your wheelie, point. Not the wheelie one, because those are silly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nato is a great example of um, assassination and assassinating contracts being part and parcel of a well-ordered society. Mm. Right? You go to the Hokage's office and you say, I would like to buy one dead person, please. That one. There. <laughs> How much is that dead person <laughs> in the window? <laughs> Literally the plot of Killing Eve season two, episode five. Well, I remember one of them. Yeah. 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 What are some other ones? Terry Pratchett. Terry Pratchett. We can't, we cannot possibly end this episode without talking about the Assassin's Guild in Discworld. Yes. And it's just so different from from Kai's one, right? Yeah. The Assassin's Guild is set up as one of Vetinari's attempts to channel something that's going to happen anyway, like thievery or murder for money, into mm-hmm. a well-regulated profession. And I think part of the fun of watching the Assassin's Guild exist is getting contact with their rules, like what they will and won't do. They have to wear black because that's a gentleman's color. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The aesthetic is very important. And they will set certain uh, amounts of money for certain people. And there are a few people that they will not accept contracts on. But actually, I quite I love what Terry Pratchett does with the idea of the Assassin's Guild as basically eaten. Yes. Mm. Slash Oxbridge. Like he has, he makes fun of the assassins as the assassins guild is where all of the rich people send their sons to get a gentleman's education, which is like art history and Latin and also killing people. And like a lot of them, and they describe it in one of the books as the dark syllabus. (laughs) And not not everybody who goes to the assassins school actually does the dark syllabus or the dark (laughs) curriculum or whatever it is. Terry Pratchett was a gift. And women are shit out of luck. Yeah, but it's considered to be an upper class profession. <laughs> and there's a lot of like very Love clever Pratchett. class commentary going on in it there. And then occasionally you'll see these scholarship um, there's this whole thing to do with like scholarship boys who are kind of looked down upon because if they're not here because they're rich, they must be here because they, they want to kill people. What's that about? <laughs> That's not gentlemanly. Point of order, I will mention Veterinary explicitly did not set up that's the true. Assassin's Guild. These ones predated him by a lot because he went, to the, he went to the Assassin's Guild. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yes. And he was considered, and he was considered to be a kind of weird student because he was like, surely we would better be better disguised if we wore like dark colors and you know shades, and gray, and gray. And everyone's like, oh my goodness, gray. No, assassins wear black. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the um, <sighs> the system in Kai's book is. They call it the family and they call one another cousins, even though they are not cousins. Uh, And there's like a a back alley broker, but then it's also sanctioned by the government and it's super fun. Yeah, I liked the back alley broker. He was this this one dude who's just the interface (laughs) between the contracts and the killers. And he was so done with everyone's shit. I wonder if he has like an apprentice. Like what happens to him when he dies? Does he, who does he get replaced by? Is someone appointed? Does he train someone? I still have Uh questions, but fortunately there's another book in this series. There are two more books and the next one has lesbians. Wonderful. Yes. But before we end, I did have a dot point of a very important question to ask Freya that I can't remember why I put here. (laughs) Okay, I remember why. Dot point is why are dragon assassins a bad idea, comma, Freya? (laughs) This is because when we were prepping for the episode, we were wondering having a think about why assassins and assassin stories are or aren't in our personal wheelhouses Mm. and Macy Mm -hmm. was saying that it was probably because for her, Anne McCaffrey did not write about assassins. Unless Anne McCaffrey did it, it did not make itself into the fabric of tiny Macy. And so I I feel that dragons would be very bad at being assassins. I agree. I I agree. Third that, yes. 
Yeah, because, I mean, even if they have, like, the tool-using hands, which are a very important part of being a dragon and not a worm, cough, Game of Thrones. Cough. They still don't fit down chimneys. No, I think yep. you would you would have you'd have to be either an incredibly good assassin at doing stuff out in the open, i.e. burning someone to a crisp, as long as you don't care <laughs> that everyone knows you did it. And I think that's part of it. The part of the assassination is the secrecy. You can't be a secret assassin if you're burning someone to a crisp. everybody. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. We had a hell of a good time talking about murder and feelings and whether dragons could make good assassins or not, but we really must reiterate that we definitely do not condone murder in any form. Don't do a stabbing. But as a consolation, we do have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On our next episode, two weeks hence on July 3rd, we will be reviewing the novels from this year's Hugo Award ballot. That's right, six tentpoles. Whoo, that's going to be a lot, eh? In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please do consider supporting us on Patreon. If we meet a few landmark goals, we're going to be able to start offering merch. And I don't know about you, but I really need a classy and sophisticated serpent cast lapel pin. And by the way, I think you'd be a great teammate to have on our international hunt for an elusive and mysterious assassin.